It's the Staza Pod right before I head back to Asia. So I've asked you guys, give me some good questions. I'm going to do my best to answer these. And uh, I'm not sure whether or not there will be a free content Friday next Friday because I will be traveling. So this might uh, be it for two weeks. And if you're not a patron already, you're going to miss out on the entire trip. And there's going to be some fantastic behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm not sharing that content anywhere else. Um, I've also unlocked my previous trip, and I posted that in the Facebook group. It's only one post from the previous trip, but it gives you a little sneak peek uh, into what the factories look like and things like that. And I'm hoping to snap some new pics and content on this trip. So to start this off, I asked uh, the patrons what they wanted to see. And um, I'll go through some of these, and uh, wherever there's a question, I'll sort of happily answer. So KJ Smith is interested in the factory production, the packaging, the painting, and shopping and food. So I think you're going to see all that and more, KJ. I wouldn't be too worried about that. Um, Brett Lawson wants to see some nights on vacation pictures. Uh, That's kind of a cool idea. I'll have to see who I'm bringing with me that is sort of fit to share, that isn't still secret. And... um, yeah, maybe we'll, I'll uh, take some pics of him uh, overlooking the Hong Kong Bay. Good idea. Um, Julian is asking for a Keshi factory tour, a chat with Toy Cat's owner, um, and then a thousand yen challenge in Don Quixote. Um, Don Quixote, for those who don't know, is this, is this sort of big, I guess it's like close to a dollar store or maybe a discount chain store. They're really chaotic, tightly packed stores with tons of products stuffed everywhere and just hanging off of the walls floor to ceiling really a overwhelming experience to go to a Don Quixote um but I I like to go to Don Quixote because I buy big sort of check luggage uh for the flight back so that it can stuff you know more toys uh into what I'm bringing back and uh I don't have to sort of ship anything so I may actually end up hitting up Don Quixote. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to have time to talk to Ishii from Toy Cats. I do love Toy Cats. I love Ishii. I love his store. He is really a pillar of the Microman community. Um, But I may only be able to see him at Superfest. uh, And the show is very, very busy. So I don't know that we'll have time to sort of sit back and and chat about that. Given Raider says uh, he'd love to see Real Head Studio and Shop. Um... I don't have plans to go to Maury's. I will probably see Maury at... Oh, I don't know if he goes to Superfest, actually. Um, I'll probably see him at some point in the trip, but I don't have a plan to go out to his studio. It's a little bit out of the way, and I have kind of a tight schedule. Um, We did... Nikki and I did visit Maury's studio, and there is footage of that in... um, I'm sorry, in his shop. Uh, There is footage of that in one of our eBay videos. So go to the uh, Toy Pizza YouTube channel and look up look those uh, look up the videos where Nikki and I were both in Asia, and you should get to see some of uh, Maury's stuff. Uh, Lee Mullick wants um, some chopsticks. He wants me to buy chopsticks for all the patrons. I think I'm going to do better than that. If you guys remember, I put together little gift bags 
uh, of various things I picked up on the trip for all my patrons. I'm going to try to do that again, but we have a lot more patrons this time around, so uh, no promises, but I'm, I hopefully will be able to do something like that. Thomas Giante asks, how do you think the stores and shops in Japan will fare with unique vintage product before, after, and during the Olympics? And how do you find out about or keep up with shows and festivals, especially those overseas? Um, I think all the shops and everything should fare well with the influx of tourists for the Olympics. Um, I don't think that... uh, I don't think, like, our hobby will necessarily be negatively impacted because I imagine the vast majority of people going to watch the Olympics are probably not fans of the stuff we're fans of. So I don't anticipate it sort of getting wiped out or things like that. Um, how do I keep up on the shows or festivals? Uh, it's largely word of mouth. You know, I, I just have mutual friends that sort of tell me when things are coming up and when they're happening. Um, I, I wish I had a good resource to point you towards, but I, I do not. James Davis is down to see Safubi shops, Gashapon machines. He seconds a trip to Real Head. Um... And he'd love to see how they tamper print figures. Um, so there's going to be plenty of Safubi and Gashapon coverage. Uh, again, not sure about going to see Mori. Uh, I would love to get some tampo printing captured on film, but the problem is if, if the machine's not running that day, they're not going to set it up and run it for me because it's kind of a complicated procedure. So if uh, the day I visit they are indeed running tampos, I'm definitely going to snap some footage of that and share it with you guys because it's it's such a cool process to see. Um, there is a company, I think Brick Arms, who do sort of third-party Lego-compatible figures. Um, they, I be- If it is them I'm, I'm thinking of, they did print some footage of a tampo machine at work, and I thought it was so cool. Um, you can also Google tampo printing machines and and get some really good insight into that. It's hypnotic to watch, honestly. Gabe Bergen says, I heard Japan has some great pizza unique to them. Have you ever tried it there? If not, you shouldn't film it. Um, So with my dietary restrictions, I'm not going to be trying any of the pizza over there. Uh, But there is totally crazy flavors and stuff like that. Um, I have not had any in Japan, but when I used to go to Hong Kong about a decade ago, I would definitely um, have some weird pizzas. Mayo being a topping on pizza is probably one of the weirder things. And then a bunch of, they like seafood on their pizza and a lot of weird stuff that, you know, we don't eat or weird by our standards anyway. Uh, moving on, Grimace says he's fascinated with junk food and how it differs from place to place. Uh, yeah, I will definitely, I like snapping pics of all the, uh, sort of racks of candy and things like that, so, um, you can definitely look forward to that. Trevor Peck has asked me to become friends with Scotola and visit him and get him some great Kit Kats. Uh, I don't know. The, the problem is I sort of, I get introduced to a lot of people over there Um, but I don't always know what their sort of, uh, real name is or their artist name. Sometimes I, you know, know people as something different than how they're portrayed online. I do like Scotilla's work very much. Uh, Scotola. Scotola? Yeah, I think it's Scotola. And I assume they will be set up 
at uh, Superfest, so I gotta go see them. And I like that croaking frog. That's their sort of icon picture. Uh, Mick is interested in seeing manufacturing, finishing, all the arts and crafts that go into production. The last trip was really awesome, so anything building on that is cool. And if possible, uh, record some pods with initial thoughts about what's happening or what you're experiencing. So, uh, yeah, you're going to see the manufacturing. You're going to see the finishing. Uh, Thank you. I'm glad you liked the last trip. I I loved doing the coverage last time. I thought it was a really neat way to sort of take you guys with me in a sense. Um, And I like this idea of recording pods with initial thoughts. So I'm going to add that to the repertoire and make sure those are getting uploaded. Um, I do always say this with the disclaimer that uh, when I'm in mainland China and in certain parts of Japan too, I may not have steady access uh, to internet and certain apps may be on the banned list, especially in mainland China. So there might be some blackout periods and that's just part of the, uh, the traveling over there. Uh, SQ comes in with his usual stunners, so let's dig into them. A podcast with the Toy Whisperer, Don, uh, Thousand Toys, Kit Lau. Um, I, I would like to do a podcast with all of them. I, I'm going to sit down with Thousand Toys at uh, New York Comic Con, which happens right after I get back. So I'm going to take care of that then. Uh, Kit, I, I would like to dig into big time. And I think we're going to have a shot uh, to do that because we have a long train and car ride ahead of us. Um, and then Don, yeah, always always a pleasure to talk to Don, and I think we can make that happen too. Uh, SQ also says, bring us along on your vintage toy hunting. You know it. Uh, if you guys were tuning in last time when I was at Superfest, I was doing my best to sort of give pretty contemporaneous updates on things I was finding and the crowds and things like that. So I'm going to attempt to do that again. Uh, any life hacks on toy hunting in Hong Kong and Japan? Um, let's see here. I, I guess for Hong Kong, you got to go to Mong Kok, uh, but you don't be afraid to explore off the beaten path. There's some great stores that are not in the main toy malls that can be really sort of cool and you can have good finds at. Um, I also, I like going to the big department stores in both places. You know, I think that, um, you know, sort of us adult toy collectors want to go to the cool places like Mandarake, but I found some really cool stuff that I was not expecting or looking for at big department chains. Like Yodabashi Camera is a good example. So I wouldn't shy away from those things because there are, there's a lot of surprise and innovation you'll find in in stuff that's outside of our normal collecting patterns. Uh, will I be showcasing the food that I enjoy? Yes, of course. Um, are there, do I have toy shop recommendations? I mean, there's a ton of them. I think our our video series on Japan that Nikki and I went to together really breaks down where you need to be shopping, specifically in Japan. Um, for Hong Kong, I'm sort of still relearning Hong Kong, and a lot of stores I used to go to a decade ago are closed, and there's new ones. So I gotta, I should put together a Hong Kong shopping recommendation list, and I think I'll do that soon. Um, Gashapon and Candy Toys, themed cafes in Akihabara. Um, there will definitely be Gashapon coverage, no question. Candy Toys as well. I, I'm more excited about those two things than I think traditional expensive action figures. The theme cafes in Japan are really cool looking, but the experience is kind of underwhelming and the food is usually terrible. Um, so I, you also, um, at the ones I've gone to anyway, you have to have a reservation. You can't just walk in and be seated. 
so I I think I'll take photos of themed restaurants as I see them and walk by them, but I'm not likely to sit down and, and order uh, anything because I haven't had great experiences. Uh, and then walk around the toy festival you're attending. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely be doing that. You want to discover more indie toy makers? Well, I am your guide for that. No question. And then finally, are you able to take some small plastic pellets for us? Um, no, I don't. I don't want to because they're kind of dirty. <laughs> they're not, you know, the plastic doesn't get washed at any time. So I don't really want to sink my hands in that. And I don't think you guys want them either. But I will have some cool gifts for you. That much I promise. And now on to the Facebook questions. What is the best collectible toy shop you've ever been to? This is a really tough one, and there is no single answer. Um, Off the top of my head, I think Tate's Comics is the most balanced and interesting store, and that's in Sunrise, Florida. Um, It's a great store. It has everything, not just toys, but comics and books and art supplies. It's really just a mecca. It's a, it's a fantastic store. It's very well-rounded. Um, my only complaint about Tate's would be that as they've grown, their focus on vintage toys has shrunk a little bit. Not significantly, but they, you know, they, um, they've they sort of, uh, they're a very broadly appealing store. And um, it's a very minor complaint. I do love Tate's, and I love... Uh, Tate and Amanda, they're great people. So I, I think overall that probably wins. Um, Acme in Orlando is a fantastic store with a heavy focus on vintage toys. And you will find pristine stuff still in the package. It looks like you're walking through a Toys R Us circa 1989. It's really impressive. Um, Lulu Berlou in, in Paris is incredible. Uh, it's also incredibly expensive. But that's a great place to stop if you're in Europe. <clears throat> And then I guess pound for pound, you're not going to do better than Mandarake, and you're and specifically you're not going to do better than the the Nagano Broadway sort of toy mall. I, I just think there's so much there. Um, I would also give honorable mention to the CM CMTA toy mall in Hong Kong. That's a pretty fantastic one as well. But I, I think the yeah Nagano Broadway is just it's so overwhelming and amazing. So I, I guess if we're talking domestically, I'd give it to Tate's Comics. If we're talking internationally, I'd say Mendarake at Nagano Broadway. But uh, again, that's a whole federation of stores. It's not just one single store, so it might be cheating a little bit. Chris Sola says, any thoughts on Rene Lebu's Fantastic Planet or any of his feature films? Besides Mobius, there seems to be very little set of French illustration animation. They seem to be under overlooked underrated. Um, I agree with you. I think the whole genre of French sci-fi and fantasy is really profound and it's had a huge influence on me. And it is overlooked and underappreciated but I think that's okay because it makes it easier to steal things from. (laughs) Uh, But truly, there is truly mind-warping stuff that that has come out of that sort of specific sub-genre. And it's worthy of a deep dive for anyone you know, is searching for something more. Gary Arnold says, um, 
Toy designers and artists in following their artistic muse sometimes create toys that hit all the right notes in what their fan base want. They produce bestsellers that probably sell out in seconds. Other times, the same toy makers may produce a toy that is e- they are equally passionate about, but seemingly fickle opinion only has a lackluster response. How do you balance following your artistic whimsy versus trying to gauge what your fan base wants? So this is a a very deep question that cuts to the fabric of my being. And I think that my initial response is I try to avoid what I think the fan base wants. And I don't mean that to be pejorative towards the fan base, but I mean that um, if if my business was based on what I thought customers would buy, we wouldn't be where we are today. Instead, we would still have just the classic night and I would probably keep doing Death Knight, and I would just copy all of the sort of dowdy styles that are famous in O'Neill, you know, um, the names of which uh, escape me at the moment. But I think that the... I think it it is... It's a fallacy to think you can predict what people are going to buy, truly. Now, that doesn't mean that there are safe bets and there are reasonable things that you know people want more of or that you sold too little of. Um, you know, there there is certainly data and information that can nudge you in the right direction. But the creative process to me, especially this enterprise with Knights of the Slice and the Patreon and everything else, I am doing this because I don't want to think about any other considerations other than pleasing myself. Um, if I was sort of still in the mode where... I wanted to take direction or instruction or be influenced by other stuff, I never would have gone off on my own. And so this is an incredibly independent enterprise in many respects. Now, I, I do take advice and I do make changes and I do sort of show things to people I trust and get their feedback. But ultimately, you know, this is about 99 to 98% the toy line I want it to be. And... The zigs and zags never would have happened if I was just chasing the the sales. You know, I don't think Vector Jump would have happened because nobody would have asked for that because nobody conceivably could have thought that such a thing could exist. Um, Rift Killer was a bit of a different story because I knew that the the head for the Rift Killer was super popular and people were asking for more of that. And, you know, a little bit of a safer bet. But again, I don't think people expected us to do Rift Killer, and so on and so on. Every other iteration has been, hopefully, if nothing else, surprising, you know. So, um, I think that I, yeah, you know, to sort of circle it back around, I think I generally avoid what I think people will buy. And what I'm more interested in is convincing people that something is worthy of their purchase whether or not it's something they anticipated. Um, so hopefully that sort of answers this. I, I would say artistic whimsy is is the driving force, not what I think the fan base wants. Patrick Colonna asks, Action Figure of the Month birthday customs had some difficulties. Is the project still going on? Um, it's a big task. 
making customs and planning for everyone that opted in. Yes, it is. Um, so yeah, the biggest failing of Action Figure of the Month 2019 was definitely the birthday customs. Um, I made several errors in adding on this feature, and I did it very late, and I hadn't really thought out all the ramifications of it. So pretty early on, we started running into people getting birthday customs that really weren't mind-blowing, and they should have been. Uh, I had sort of way more demand than I could reasonably sort of meet for handcrafted customs. So it is still ongoing. The, the bulk of the birthday orders are already taken care of. I think there's only a handful left throughout the year that I have to sort of fulfill for people. And I've tried to make up ground in the past couple of months with something special where I could. Um, so, you know, this is this is any production. There's always going to be aspects that are not 100%. And, you know, you just sort of have to own it. You have to apologize and you have to sort of learn from it. So as we're on the eve of Action Figure of the Month 2020 launching, and by eve I mean, you know, within the next couple of weeks or so, um, I'm definitely not offering it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it'll make it for a better campaign next year. Cliffy Cheetah, what's the story behind the six-inch action figure Rex? I received mine yesterday, and I'm very impressed with it. I like the stylized design of the figure, especially the head sculpt. Aside from some minor issues, I found it was pretty cool. Is there a reason you haven't decided to go with another action figure similar to Rex Ganon? Um, yeah, there's a couple reasons. Um, I think one, you know, six-inch is not my scale. I'm a three-and-three-quarter-inch guy. Uh, that's the that's the majority of the toys I collect and I like and the compatibility I seek and I just you know I, I'm not this this the guy that understands the six inch or seven inch world so I'm not a great toy maker to cater to that audience I don't think you know I don't think I have the right mindset um, there's also a very real sort of cost analysis and benefit to making six-inch figures versus three-inch figures. Um, with six-inch figures these days, you really cannot get away with anything that's not hyper-articulated. There's really no excuse for it. Um, so that would pretty much double or triple my tooling costs and add months and months to debugging and fixing and making sure the engineering is correct. Um, all of that is time where I'm not selling product and not seeing a return on investment. Um, there was a small window where I thought I was going to buy the tooling for the old Plan B Special Forces figures. And I, you know, I got the okay from the from the Plan B guys to go and speak to the factory that they used to use and see if the tool still existed. And I thought that maybe I would revitalize that line and do some stylized heads and new accessories and bright colors and make something out of that. Um, but at the end of the day, the tools are lost, so that plan got scratched um there's also the factor of you know thousand toys make six inch figures and they've made six inch figures in knights of the slice and there is no way we're going to design something better than what they've done they those are just really tremendous fantastic figures and i i don't want to compete with them <laughs> they're too good so you know all those different things are kind of the confluence that prevents me from doing another action figure similar to Rex Cannon, for the time being anyway.
Evan Raider, the Frankenslice experience gave us a pretty badass character, Von Von Braun. Do you have any more plans or interest in releasing another version of him, not in Frankenslice form? Perhaps pre-Alexander, pre-Queen Bee, gang formation? Any plans for a Queen Bee gang member or the Queen Bee herself? Also, mushroom dish. What's your favorite mushroom dish? Favorite protein source? Favorite fruit? Have you tried cactus blossom? They are delicious. So a lot of great questions here. Uh, yes. I am very interested in getting a a different version of Von Von Braun out there. Uh, it would be pre-Alexander Von Von Braun. I have also thought about how to do the Queen Bee, how to do the Queen Bee gang members. So the, those are all questions I'm asking myself right now and, and trying to sort of piece together. So very relevant questions. Nothing's been decided, but all the sort of stuff that are rattling around in my brain. Uh, very early fans will know that there is actually other versions of Vaughn that have been built in resin. And before Vector Jump came out, my idea was to do an accessory kit that would have given us basically Vaughn and Rex and a sort of new chest piece and some sort of tactical armor gear. A lot of those parts have been recycled and reused into things like the Rift Killer and, you know, made their way into the line other ways. But um, there was very much uh, a plan from the very early stages of Knights of the Slice to get Vaughn in there. And I'm happy that Frank and Slice uh, came together and Vaughn is now officially part of the canon, but I am interested in getting to the early stages of Vaughn and finding a way to kind of... uh, represent him there too because I think he's an interesting character uh, far more interesting than Rex coincidentally um, my favorite mushroom dish I like making shiitake bacon which is a sort of vegan dish and you basically just uh, dry out you you cover with you can use some liquid smoke you can use some um, smoked salt I find works really good and you just kind of cover a baking sheet in olive oil you put shiitake mushrooms down, slice shiitake mushrooms, cover it in salt, pepper, liquid smoke if you want to, and smoked salt, and then you cook them for about 30 minutes, and they come out very crispy and a little chewy, and it it almost gives you the effect of eating bacon, almost. Um, so I like making that dish a lot. Uh, mushrooms are just generally pretty great. I'll take them anyway. My favorite protein source is uh, steak. It's just easy to cook, easy to eat. It's incredibly nutritious. If you're, you know, eating from local farms and eating grass-fed meat. And um, so that's sort of my go-to. My favorite fruit, I like honeydew melon, especially with prosciutto wrapped around it. Uh, I have tried cactus, cactus blossoms, and I do love them. So thank you for those questions. Snake Pike, if you were to make another run of Hob, what colors would you do or what designs are you interested in thinking of? So I do plan to do another Hob. I'm going to offer him in the Backer Kit store after Action Figure of the Month 2020. This is the final version of Hob. There is a special little gimmick going along with him. I don't want to say what his color scheme is. 
and partially because I haven't designed it, but it will be a sort of real-type version of Hob. Um, if that's of interest to people, I don't know. Second question, with the full production of Psycho, will the full production of Psycho Arm make it into Action Figure of the Month 2, or is it a piece close to being full production? Um, so the Psycho Arm sort of still exists out there. Um, I don't have it currently slated on Action Figure of the Month 2020, but it could easily be a stretch goal. Um, the problem is I don't have it scanned in 3D. And it's sort of a piece that might need that. And so it's it puts it further down on the list than assets I have that are already in 3D format. Um, what we're finding now with production is we sort of need a 3D backup. Things can be hand sculpted, but to eliminate a lot of problems, having the 3D file is super helpful, especially because then I can print them here and I can tweak them and work with them and, and troubleshoot them. So the Psycho Arm has one tick against it in that it's not a, it's a sort of physical sculpt pre our 3D scanning days. Um, so it adds an additional challenge, but that's not to say it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't get made at some point. I just think, uh, there are a couple items that are probably going to be more interesting to you guys that are further ahead on the uh, list, and you're going to see those soon. Next up from Snake, uh, at Decon, you said you're going to take it easy this year. Will there still be a good amount of rare pieces and customs at the booth? Also, do you ever worry about Decon eventually becoming like San Diego Comic-Con with them slowly bringing in bigger companies like Funko? Um, I think that's already happened at Decon, and I don't, I don't blame them. I don't, you know, I get it. You know, you're in business to run a business and you want it to be as big as possible. So I, I don't have the same hostility or vitriol that a lot of people do for Decon growing as big as it is. It does unfortunately affect my future with Decon. I, I don't know how many more years I'm going to go out to it. Um, I'm definitely going this year. Maybe last, maybe next year is my last year. I, I don't know. Um, but you do, you notice the difference, you know, you see the footprints of, uh, the Funkos and the Metacoms of the world and, you know, it just, it squeezes smaller vendors out. And, um, but that's the nature of all things. The other factor in all this is Toy Pizza Con. Um, if I had never done Toy Pizza Con and it hadn't been such a tremendous success, uh, I think I'd still be, you know, going to Decon with blinders on, but... Now that I know I can set up very close to where I live and I can make the amount of money I did and I keep all the profit and I get all my friends get to set up and it's a very easy one day thing. The appeal of traveling across the country and paying for freight and shipping and all the logistics, um, you know, it becomes less appealing. So I think, uh, I don't see Decon slowing down or getting smaller. I think, in reality, something else is going to pop up and be independent and take its place. Um, Owen Thaxton asks a quizzical question, but if I'm deciphering it correctly, I believe he's asking, what are the items on Shikan's belt, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, I do actually have that information, and it was written down by Robert Cross himself. Uh, 
So the three items on the bandolier. The lower item is a wooden stake of ash or hawthorn. The next one, the spade, is uh, sorry, is a spade-shaped stone knife, and it's called the star stone knife. It's made from a meteor from a super dense planet that had fallen. It's harder than diamonds, and Shikan uses it to cut through creatures and things his rune sword cannot penetrate. The top item would be a small dagger, throwing knife that he uses when needed. So there you have it. Uh, those are the weapons on the Vaughn, Von Braun, and the Shikan figure. Charlie Wrighton, who would play BLT in a live action movie? And who's more powerful, Chaos King, Cola Knight, or Death Knight? Um, so, BLT, for those who don't know, is Brick, Lime, and Teal. Uh, I, I'm not so well connected with younger actors um, of today. So I would have to sort of pick people that are a little bit older and then, I guess, make a casting agent find the younger version of these people. So uh, Lime, of course, would be played by Lee Pace uh, from the great movie The Fall. He also, people would probably know him as Ronan the Accuser from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, if you look up Lee Pace with a beard, he looks like a super handsome version of me. So that's who I would pick. But of course, we need, you know, him... 10 to 15 years younger. Uh, for Brick, um, let's see here. Who would be a good... Bobby Lee? <laughs> um, I gotta think about that. Who would play a good Nikki? You'd need somebody sort of energetic. Um, boy, oh boy. I don't know. Yeah, let's go with Bobby Lee. He'll add a little comedic... Uh, comedic knowledge to uh, the sort of role of uh, of Brick. Sorry, I'm trying to look up another actor that I think would do a good job here. Um, Michael J. White, the guy who played Spawn in Black Dynamite. That would also be a really good actor to play Brick in a live-action film. Um, as far as Teal, hmm, so we need somebody kind of Aryan-looking and and, uh, hmm, maybe like a young Chris Pine would be a very good casting for, uh, for Teal, certainly. Um, so I think that gives us the, the original trio, and that's who I would pick. Um, regarding who's more powerful, Chaos King, Cola Knight, or Death Knight, uh, with the understanding that you're naming some of the same characters with this question, I would say Chaos King is probably stronger. And I don't really want to go into detail much more than that without ruining things. Uh, David Branson says, are you watching any Sentai or Kamen Rider currently and which ones? I am not. Uh, I actually have not seen a ton of Kamen Rider or a ton of Tokusatsu. Um, I am very behind on that. I should watch more. You make a good point. Um, boringly, SQ says, uh, how did toy scales come about? Why three inch, five inch figures are popular at low production costs. Um, so for the reason why three and three quarter inch is so popular is largely because of Lucas and the, the need and the desire to sell vehicles. You know, I think that they, I'm paraphrasing story, but they started to do cost analysis and they realized that like they could sell a hell of a lot more vehicles if uh, the figures, the pilots themselves, were smaller. And I think that that went into the decision 
uh, for for the Kenner line. And really, the Kenner line was so massively huge at the end of the 70s that it really started to inform the decision-making in so many other things. Um, I, I can't speak for why the other sort of scales may or may not, you know, have solidified their place in the world, but I know specifically that the Kenner model was about the vehicles. Like, that that was a, a cognizant decision they had. And um, I think that's part of the reason why I love it, because there's vehicles that you can have with it. Do you know the reason for the articulation obsession on figures and why five points of articulation is the golden number? So, people definitely have an articulation obsession. Uh, I think that there's an obsession with hyper-articulation for things like six inch and above, and even on three and three-quarter inch. I think there, there's a large group of people that want, they want that Marvel Legends scheme and they want it in everything and i reject that notion because i don't actually think more articulation makes a figure better while posing is fun if additional articulation is loose and wobbly or the figures don't stay together or they fall apart or their gear doesn't fit on then ultimately it's it doesn't matter how ambitious you are if you can't execute a figure that works um your ideas are shit so i sort of i i i get why people like having hyper-articulation. I know, especially like uh, Instagram influencers who take a lot of photos, they like to pose their figures, so they like the joints to be able to do that. But um, that's not the game I play, and I I don't kind of buy into that. Um, I don't know that five points of articulation is the golden number. Um, I think that that's, you know, again, if we look at Kenner and Star Wars, which was really the big, the first time that, you know, lightning really struck for toy collecting and, and things like that in a huge multi-generational way. I think they did five points of articulation because that's, you know, what they could sort of reasonably execute upon. Um, Knights of the Slice are not five points of articulation. I always consider the Knights of the Slice's articulation premise to be what I call Kenner Plus. So you have your basic five points of articulation where you would expect it, but there are additional twist joints and a ball joint neck that give it, uh, you know, a little bit more dynamic nature. Um, moving on, what are your main criteria in judging a toy? Uh, I think overall, like, does it feel fun? You know, that's that's number one. If I, I, I try to challenge myself to buy figures that I never would of characters I don't like or makers that I just don't follow. And I just want to know if out of the package it feels fun. Does it have a heft to it? Does it move in an interesting way? Is it colorful? Is it interesting? I'm sorry. <clears throat> is it evocative? Um, fun is definitely top of my list. Um, moving on from there, you know, things like do the joints work? Do the pieces fit together? Do the accessories fit in the hand? That's a big pet peeve of mine. I want a tight fit. I want hands to work and be open. Um, and then, you know, things like paint and cleanliness of lines and application, you know, quality of the plastic. Those are all criteria that are sort of important. But any of those can be forgiven if if a piece is just really fun. Like, I remember buying the applause. It must have been about seven or eight inches tall. Rocketeer figure. And it was kind of a shitty toy. It was just like a, a vinyl 
rotomolded piece, but it was so much fun. And it only twisted at the uh, at the neck, and a weird twisting at the sort of mid bicep. But that was a really fun toy, and I took it everywhere. And as as dumb as it was compared to some of the more sophisticated toys, it had that fun. And so it sort of, you know, persevered. Um, what is my take on Funko Pops? Um, it's uh, it's complicated. I have a very complicated relationship with Funko Pops. I uh, first and foremost, I respect the business that Brian Mariotti and Funko have built because they've really built an empire from scratch. Um, my concern would be that I think we're we're on a bubble for collectibles. Again, I came into the industry, uh, when was it, 2002, something like that, when the sort of McFarlane and Art Asylum and adult collector collectibles bubble was probably had just burst and was starting to be in decline in a big way. And, you know, companies like Art Asylum and Palisades sort of ended up not making it out alive. McFarlane smartly pivoted to things like sports and things like Halo and were able to survive. But, um, you know, I, I came into the industry in the, during the explosion of one bubble and I see another explosion coming soon. Um, if you look at the key indicators, there is now a lot of Funko Pops on clearance. I took a photo at Newberry Comics a few weeks ago with this entire wall that's all clearance Funko Pops. That's a very bad thing. Um, Diamond Comics solicited a Wolverine bobble, you know, pop exclusive, and it listed its production number as 20,000 units. That's an insane number for an exclusive. It's arguably too big for a non-speculator market. Um, If you also look at GameStop, they laid off 100 people. They just announced they're closing 200 stores. GameStop is probably the biggest purchaser of action figure collectibles right now. Um, They're going under, in my opinion. And uh, they're going to stiff a lot of vendors, potentially. So I see that as being another factor of uh, a bubble bursting. Um, Now, is all this Funko's fault or Pop's fault? No, not at all. This is the nature of things and the nature of collectibles. But uh, mark my words, we're we're on the cusp of another bubble bursting, and I think people are going to get stuck with um, with a lot of pops at a certain point. Uh, number five, do you always follow the color theory during designing stage? So um, I, I'm extrapolating a little bit here, but I assume I mentioned color theory a lot, and color theory is just like just basically your own perspective of what colors a figure should be in order to evoke a a feeling. And I take color theory very seriously. Um, You know, there is a, to me, there's a perfect harmony of color combinations to to communicate an idea I have of a character. So um, it's something I take seriously, but it is something that does evolve over the development of a figure. Uh, Like right now, I'm trying to tie together Cyber Mama Designs, and Hyper Knight Wave 2. And I got to get all this done before I leave, and I got to bring all these designs with me. And um, 
you know, there's a certain Hyper Knight I want to introduce soon. It's a, you know, classic character. And I've done four or five iterations of his color scheme. And I keep just tweaking it. I take out a color. I add in a color. And I'm starting to get it it just right. Um, Now, there are also times when colors change at the final production. Um, It is not an exact science color matching. And sometimes you get weird colors. Sometimes a factory paints the wrong piece. And sometimes that can be a happy accident. So I would say it's a relatively fluid phenomenon, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Charles Hazelwood says, can the Rift Killer wear the fedora? Uh, no. And I would say that the Classic Knight can barely wear the fedora. It's not um, a piece that I think really snaps together the way it should. And that's due in part to the the difficulty in getting PVC to stick to PVC. Now, if you have ABS plastic and you're trying to fit it into a PVC piece, it snaps pretty well. But PVC on PVC, because of the sort of softness of the plastic, it uh, can be quite difficult. Um, Thomas Valkymer says, I see you mentioned a somewhat seasonal aspect to your figures and releases. Is Sub-City going to shift into the background for a bit? Likewise, likewise, I see renderings of Radic, uh, which, by the way, is only on the Patreon so far, um, with the exception of the sort of sneak peek we just released. Uh... Renegades of Radic have a beach vibe. Does that mean he will be part of your spring-summer collection? So there is a seasonality to things, for sure. Um, I think that's more based on my own personal mood. You know, when the seasons start to shift, I kind of start thinking about what characters I want to release within that season. Um, Sub-City is definitely a summer feeling. And yes, we are sort of scaling out of that. We're rotating styles out. Um, That's... uh, I think that's always going to be... Subsidy is always going to sort of hit really big when the pool's open and the rays are out. Radic is definitely... He's got summertime vibes, right? He's got a real TNC surf design sort of uh, orf to him. But uh, if everything goes to plan, Radic will be unlocked when we launch the Action Figure of the Month 2020 Kickstarter campaign, which should be, you know within the near future uh he will be unlocked first and then my goal would be that radic ships with january of action figure of the month 2020 um there's a lot of factors that have to align for that to happen but that's my basic idea and premise i would really love to see that happen um so uh radic would then you know become part of the regular rotation and he'll be in a lot of different assortments and things like that. But, of course, I think Radic is a perfect example of somebody who can have specific seasonal themes. You know, we absolutely would do a Sub-City version of him. We absolutely would do a, you know, Sunny Beach version of him. Um, all I need is you guys to unlock him in the Action Figure of the Month 2020 campaign. Coming soon to Kickstarter. So there you have it. There's your questions and your answers. It's always a pleasure to do these for you guys. Um, If you are not a patron, you're going to miss out everything that happens in the next couple weeks, including Superfest, including a factory tour, including hanging out with Kit. There's some fantastic stuff lined up. So don't miss out. Join for just five bucks. And I got to be honest, with the discount codes we give to patrons, 
and the pre-orders and the all-in bundles, I think you kind of get that five bucks back pretty, pretty soon. I was looking at um, the redemption of the Patreon codes, which for our last sale was 20%. And I got to tell you, the people that signed up for five bucks got that 20% code and then went to the store. They saved way more than five bucks. So they're already ahead of the game. And, um, you know, I like to uh, I like to do it, and it keeps the lights on here. So that's it, folks. Uh, thank you all for everything, and the only thing left to say is pizza out. Hello, and welcome to a very special Distazapod with very terrible audio because we are in a car in mainland China heading to the factory, and I have with me today the guest that everybody's been asking for more than anybody else. They want me to talk to the famous toy designer, Kit Lau. Say hello, Kit. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so uh, apologies. I know there's going to be a lot of background noise and things like that, uh, but um, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. And so I'm going to kick off this interview with a very special question for Kit. Who is your favorite all-time G.I. Joe character? Uh, I think every people is the same. Snake Eyes? Snake Eyes, yeah. <laughs> I thought as much. Um, for me, it's... Uh, Snake Eyes is definitely up there. In the top three, of okay. course. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a specific version of Snake Eyes? You want the classic one? The original? Um, I think... Um, I keep keep playing the one on my desk is the one have a backpack they have a like a, a, a hand they can have a strength to to hanging in the in the in the shelf something yeah. like this is that from the um, I don't remember the, the movie series yeah. or this is the vintage yeah. version uh, yeah yeah not not the movie version gotcha yeah okay. yeah um i for me uh, I think Chuckles is my favorite. Do you know that character with the Hawaiian shirt? I don't remember the, all the name. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember the image. Because, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Acid Rain is probably the most important toy line of the last 10 years, I think. Especially when it comes to 3.75-inch three, 3. action figures. It's not a category that there's a lot of innovation for but I feel like what you've built with Acid Rain has been tremendously important and really one of the most newest and freshest ideas in action figures I think that's fair to say um, is there a single old toy line that you sort of based Acid Rain on but but uh, before your your question, I, you just recall my memory of how how I create acid rain. I, I remember the moment I I repaint the his tank on my desk, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel that mm, this scale is quite fit for my world. So before that, maybe some people ask me, oh, why don't you you build one six figure? Uh, because at that moment, one six is the popular scale. But for me, uh, when I grow up, I always play with the vehicle and, you know, a transformer. So how, why don't we just uh, 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 use this scale to create, uh, to, to, to present as it ring well, something like this. 
Yeah, the the magic moment is I I repaint my my his tank on the table. You just recall my memory. <laughs> That's great. So the the sort of uh, the idea for Acid Rain was sort of merging Transformer with GI Joe in some respect. Actually, uh, I have a world first, and um, you know we we grow up in in eighties. We have so many uh, memory of the different toys. So. Uh, Maybe they, they inspire me to create as a ring world. After that, um, I have to find a way to present this world. So I choose the GI Joe because I have a vehicle. Yeah. So I, before that, I also uh, thinking how about using the the scale in the mass. You you know mass figure. Yes. But for for that moment, it's too small and the technology cannot uh, fit for the good articulation. So I think it's good to start with the three point seventy five. So that is what we did. Definitely. Yeah, I think that there's, there have been transforming toys done in the mask scale before, but it is sort of a little too small to really have a lot of action and yeah. a lot of guns and accessories and, and good personality in the, in the faces and the head sculpts. Um, Acid Rain sort of takes place in a post-apocalyptic world, and uh, it seems to be a war-torn world, lots of conflict. Are you a pessimistic guy or are you an optimistic guy about the future? I'm not really understanding. Do you do you feel like that is our future, or the future will be brighter and happier than Acid Rain? Um, I don't know how to say, um, but um, let me think about it. I okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we were also talking about uh, your current obsession is Starcom, mm, okay. the the really great toy line yeah, yeah, yeah. that was um, designed in part with NASA. It was a it was somewhat um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say propaganda, but it was to sort of encourage imagination for space travel within young kids oh, yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. And I do agree with you. I think that Starcom is probably the best of minifigure toy lines because I have certain things I look for in minifigures, right? Mm. I like hands that can hold weapons. I think that's important. Mask doesn't have that. The feet can, can match that to the vehicle. Yes. Um, Interactive system. I like articulation, you know, yeah. so I want at least knee articulation. Starcom has that. Uh, I love the clear plastic visors that they come with. I think that's a, a tremendous point. The gear and the weapons all look really cool. They have a good 80s, 90s sort of aesthetic design to them. Future sci-fi, you know. Um, and then, of course, the magnet feature was really tremendous. And it, and it made for vehicles that were really complex and dynamic. So I... I uh, I totally agree with you that I think Starcom is like one of those really great lines. The only thing I think is maybe the figures are a little bit too small. It would have been cool if they worked in scale with Mask and you could have the Starcom guys sort of driving Mask vehicles. And also I also like the color, color tone. The, they mix with the space, a color tone and the military. Yeah. So I really love it. That's sort of like real type design. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Because uh, before that, like uh, the 
very early GI Joe. The the green color is very light and very set. The saturation is very high. Yeah. But Starcom is more like a really realistic uh, uh, color matching. So yeah. So it's very cool. I've noticed on Acid Rain, it's all very much real type. Like that is the the sort of color palette: olive drab, camo patterns, mustard. You know, very subdued colors. Probably with the exception of the. Um, this sort of army guy greens that you do, which I really love. I think those are great sets. Um, do you ever want to just do something wild that's in all neon colors and totally yeah, crazy? Yeah, yeah. Something like a uh, special team, like a uh, more uh, lot, um, like um, like a citizen to to make a normal, uh, like a lot, lot, lot. Government, uh, uh, civilians. Yeah, civilians. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like this. So you think that someday we may get some civilians wearing blue jeans and? Yeah, on the way. Yeah, you will see. Excellent. I look forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> I've always been. Uh, I always liked civilian characters, and I remember, um, in like the days of McFarland toys, I always liked the really plain characters more than the. The sort of monster type characters like they they had two detectives sam and twitch and they were just in regular brown suit and very boring looking and i always thought that was really cool and i, I you know i think having civilian characters gives a toy line uh, just another dimension you know that is sort of missing in the world of superheroes and things like that oh yeah yeah but uh on the technology Size, uh, we want to um, make something special, so, like uh, uh, for example, uh, the t shirt. We will want to have some print on it, something like this. Yeah, a nice yeah. tampo print logo, or yeah, yeah. yeah, I think there's an interesting way to do that. Um, in the world of Acid Rain, do you have sort of traditional superheroes? I know there's sort of like uh, radiation mutants and uh, augmented. Cyborgs? Do you have like a traditional superhero? I think it depends on the storyline to develop. For example, uh, uh, in Acid Ring World, there are some radiation, some pollution. So maybe something like a lot. For example, a wolf or coyotes mm -hmm. in the Acid Ring World maybe become more like a monster style, something like this. Yeah. Uh, I am creating. Um, is it time to say? I am creating <laughs> some animal. In acid ring. Oh, excellent! Yeah, yeah, well, that's very yeah, exciting. Yeah, I hope uh, in this few months I can take, uh, then show the sample in show or IG. I can present the, the animal. I think the acid ring fans uh, maybe know what I'm talking about because I I'm not always painting uh, animals. So <laughs> maybe they already know what I'm doing. Um, out of uh, the. The different genres of action figures, is there a genre that you really want to tackle, like maybe pirates or gladiators or um, traditional ninjas, or is there some sort of genre that you would, if you had an unlimited budget, you would like to do? Um, uh, basically, uh, uh, um, for, for example, pirate, I uh, in, in Acid Ring World, they have some modern pirate. Mm -hmm. But for the uh, for the uh, Caribbean uh, 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 private or or 
traditional in Linger, I will separate to the other toy line. To it would be a spin-off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I'm creating something out of Acid Ring. Well, something more uh, like uh, sci-fi or superhero style. Yeah. Is is there a name for this uh, separate project? Is it like Kit Lao Presents or? Um, still pending. The, Still the pending. <laughs> but oh, I am already finished some of the sample. Yeah, yeah. If you had to uh, design some a toy that was historically accurate for some period in history that was interesting to you, what what do you think you would pick? Mm. Like maybe World War One, or you know, could be any. Depends on the the character because uh, like. Um, Paratext role for this hero maybe in the World War One for mm -hmm. um, the other hero um, like more sci-fi maybe in the future something like this so yeah. I think it's like a, a, you can go to the, go inside the room and there are different door mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, go through this door you will see this hero um, something like this um, more than like uh, Marvel they all uh, Iron Man can meet with uh, uh, Mar uh, Captain Marvel, something like this. Mm -hmm. I, I will separate the world. Maybe someday they will cross over together. But I want to, um, yeah, depends on the character and create a one new world, something like this. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, how did you sort of come across American toys in the '80s? How did you find them? Did you ever like visit the United States, or would you just get them in Hong Kong? It's very expensive uh, to to buy some some uh, uh, old toy. Some of them, are, um, especially, is I think it's eBay. All people also go to eBay to check it out. Something like yeah. this. Hong Kong, maybe you can find some of it, but mainly is if you find find the old toy, maybe Hong Kong is a good choice. Yeah. Or go to Japan, but for the U.S. toy, it's hard, a little bit hard to find it. Yeah. yeah. So when I was a kid, I've told this story before, but at my school, I found a Bakuriman seal somehow out, out on the playground. And I had no idea what Bakuriman was, but it was like a piece of treasure to me. And it took me many, many years to figure out what that was and that it was a, a candy line that was still available today. Did you ever come across any American action figures or things like that when you were young and if so like what was the first one that you remember sorry this question is a little bit difficult because the question is quite long I didn't yeah. quite understand okay. <laughs> let me think okay If it is really early, I think it's the, the Green Soldier. Like Green Army Men. Uh, Green Army Men. Yeah. yeah. After that, uh, like, um, you know, when I was very young, uh, family didn't buy much uh, very expensive toy for me. Mm -hmm. After that, maybe it's uh, like a He-Man and some um, the, the metal, uh, uh, the matchbox car, mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And uh, 
TMNTR, uh, Ninja, Ninja Turtles, Ninja yeah. Ninja Tortoise, yeah. yeah, something like this. And after that, uh, become is before that, I didn't realize Transformer is uh, Japan or uh, US style because uh, I saw the the cartoon. I I will feel that is uh, I I didn't realize this this one is uh, you know right now is Hasbro or <laughs> the car, right. The so um, before that, I I didn't didn't separate this this clearly. Yeah. So I think it's Ninja Tortoise and and man something like this so if it's Ninja Turtles that brings up an interesting question what was the first Ninja Turtle you had or did you have a did you like one of them more than the others uh, I'm not really clear the memory but I I, I really love to put on the the, uh, the sword and yeah. different weapon but uh, the the unhappy thing is um, I never connect uh, four of this. Oh, you didn't have Before, all four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know that it's really hard to ask my parents to to buy one already. So you, you, if you say you want to collect all of them, she will very. <laughs> <laughs> you, you cannot cannot collect all. So so sometimes um, uh, I really happy to do something like a leaflet in the in the toy uh, toy inside the toy. They always have one word is collect them all, mm-hmm. but you never. Can't <laughs> do, do you remember um, which ones you had though? Was it orange, blue, purple, or red? Uh, the the sword one. The sword one, yeah, Leonardo, yeah, the blue yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. My first one was Raphael, and I broke his size uh, instantly. <laughs> and then, I think the second one I got was Michelangelo, and he became my favorite. I liked Michelangelo the best, I think. Yeah. Um, well, excellent. I think that will do it for us today uh we uh we're in the middle of i don't know where we're surrounded (laughs) surrounded by lots of plants big plants and highways (laughs) um so thank you guys for listening thank you kit for your time and uh make sure you follow kit on instagram and everywhere else um acid rain world at acid rain world on instagram that's going to be your best source of news And hopefully we'll have some updates on our little project together at some point in the future. And thank you guys for listening. Pizza out.